This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Research. Knowledge sharing on financial research. On today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the topic of power and energy, and more specifically, the technologies that are available or under development to decarbonize the energy sector. Erwan Kreele, a member of Amundi's ESG analysis team, who specializes in climate change, also joins me to discuss the issue. Decarbonization of the power sector is a crucial part of efforts to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. At current levels, the power sector accounts for 38% of global energy and industry-related CO2 emissions. Talk of decarbonization of the energy sector is nothing new, as seen by the significant growth in renewable energy sources over the past decade. But although wind and solar power are central to meeting net-zero objectives, it is estimated that 20% of power will need to come from other alternative low-carbon power solutions. Right now, the key issue is that the pace of decarbonization remains too slow. In the global net-zero 2050 scenarios prepared by the International Energy Agency, the power sector would need to achieve carbon neutrality as early as 2040 if we want to meet the overall goals. It is important, therefore, that the sector remains at the top of the agenda for investors and that they can continue to monitor progress and press for change. But what are these alternative low-carbon power solutions And are any of them the game-changing solution we've been looking for? We're going to focus here today on four solutions and technologies. Nuclear power, carbon capture and storage, woody biomass and low-carbon hydrogen. Taking each of these in turn, let's see what progress is being made in their development and how this compares to the projections needed to meet net-zero targets. We will start with possibly the most challenging, nuclear power. The controversies around nuclear energy are well known, but according to modelling, safe nuclear power will be essential to achieving global net zero objectives. Erwin, what's your view? One of the advantages of nuclear power is its low CO2 intensity in terms of the number of grams of carbon dioxide it takes to make one kilowatt hour of electricity. These are at similar low levels to solar and wind power. In terms of material requirements and land footprint, nuclear power is lower than renewable energies. It can also offer a flexible power supply to balance electricity systems that are powered by intermittent sources such as solar and wind. Nonetheless, the drawbacks of nuclear power are significant. Safety, given the risk of major accident, is still a major obstacle to widespread deployment. The hazardous waste produced also requires safe handling and long-term storage solutions. Other barriers are the huge upfront costs and the growing expertise gap as the current skilled workforce ages. Nuclear power is also water-intensive due to its high cooling needs, meaning water scarcity and thermal pollution, whereby the ambient water temperature is changed, are issues heightened by climate change. New technological advances do, however, offer some alternatives. Small modular reactors, one-third of the size of a traditional reactor, and constructed in a modular design, meaning that they can be prefabricated, transported and installed on-site, reduce some of the downsides in terms of cost, safety and water usage. 
Another promising development lies in nuclear fusion, where two hydrogen atoms are fused to form one heavier helium atom. This reaction produces a huge amount of energy, but just as importantly, no highly radioactive waste. Demonstration plants are in the planning stage in the US and the UK for later this decade. Our second area of focus is carbon capture and storage, which involves capturing carbon dioxide as it is produced from power generation or industrial activity, and then storing it deep underground. Modeling for 1.5 degrees centigrade scenarios tend to rely on this technology together with a sharp decline in global fossil fuel power. But whilst it is much-needed technology for reducing carbon emissions, it should be considered a transitory rather than a permanent solution for power generation. Current progress in the field is well behind schedule. Only one commercial power project in the world is currently in operation, although eight further projects are close to launch. Nonetheless, this leaves an 86% gap in the net-zero roadmap according to IEA recommendations. The main hurdles to rapid expansion of the technology come down to cost, the high water requirements, which will hamper development in water-stressed areas, as well as uncertainties around the safety of permanent storage. Nevertheless, policy support is on the rise in both the EU and the US, with funds available to incentivize projects. Turning now to our next alternative power source, woody biomass. This refers to the biomass derived from trees, which is considered a renewable energy source as new forests can be grown through afforestation and maintenance. One of the four alternative powers we are covering today, this is the only one that is considered on track according to net zero by 2050 scenarios. Oh, and this is good news, isn't it? In some ways, yes. But it's important to stress that doubts remain over the actual positive impact biomass energy will have on our net zero goals. Although emissions from biomass energy are considered as nil for accounting purposes, it's overly simplistic to consider it a climate neutral solution. For it to be carbon neutral, emissions equivalent to those created in its production need to be recaptured. This process is named the payback time, and in the case of woody biomass, parity is only achieved once forest regrowth has totally offset cumulative emissions. For many wood sources, this can take more than six decades. Analysis has shown that only certain types of wood sources are expected to deliver short-term benefits with no risks to ecosystems. Interestingly, converting forests into plantations is counterproductive and results in uncertain carbon benefits, so it is essential investors consider the source in any biomass energy investment. Other concerns around biomass focus on sustainability and biodiversity, as well as the air pollutants generated by burning the biomass to produce energy. The final power source we wanted to discuss today is hydrogen. It is a fuel that can be produced from almost all energy resources and has long been recognized as a potential alternative to fossil fuels. Hydrogen from renewable or low-carbon sources could help decarbonize a huge range of sectors, with particular demand from hard-to-abate sectors such as transportation or iron and steel manufacturing. Policy support in recent years has triggered a significant increase in interest in hydrogen projects. But the current pipeline 
still falls far short of the levels projected in the IEA's 2050 roadmap and will also require significant investment. Like the other alternatives we have covered, hydrogen is not without its drawbacks. Whilst hydrogen could make a significant contribution in sectors such as transport, buildings and power generation, its comparative low energy efficiency means it would be an inefficient substitute for domestic heating pumps and cars compared to heat pumps and electric cars. It is also important to note that not all hydrogen is equal and much depends on its source. Owen, can you talk us through the differences? Blue hydrogen, meaning hydrogen that is produced using natural gas, but with the carbon dioxide being recaptured and stored, is not a carbon neutral solution. Most blue hydrogen projects currently offer emission savings of around 40 to 60% compared to fossil fuels. But in theory, it should be technically feasible to increase this rate to around 90% with higher capture rates and reduced methane leakage. Clean, what we call green hydrogen, comes from renewable energy power, but it still requires significant infrastructure and electricity to produce. Thank you, Owen. Undoubtedly, expanding the use of low-carbon hydrogen will require significant research and development, investment and regulatory support to generate the economies of scale needed to reduce costs and expand usage. So where does all this analysis leave us? What is clear is that all these alternatives can play a role in achieving our net-zero objectives, albeit to a greater or lesser extent. It is equally apparent that policy support and coordination from governments on a global scale will be essential. Similarly important will be sourcing the huge investment this type of transformation will involve. For investors, this will mean fully understanding the regulatory environment and the real positive contributions each of these solutions can make. To wrap up today's podcast, here are a few key points to keep in mind. 1. The revival of nuclear power can only be achieved with policy support and to boost investment, it will be essential to have long-term visibility on objectives. 2. Carbon capture and storage is much needed. Whilst closing coal power plants remains the priority, targeted application of carbon capture to fossil fuel power plants, particularly for the youngest coal-powered plants, could create the economies of scale needed for it to be adopted in other areas. 3. In the biomass sector, investors should be prepared to see increasingly distinctive supporting policies that in turn creates a risk of subsidies being removed from unsustainable biomass projects. And 4. And finally, for hydrogen, a great number of economic and regulatory obstacles will still need to be fully addressed. In our view, the sustainability case for the sector as a whole, but above all for blue hydrogen, remains unproven compared to other low-carbon alternatives. Well, thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us again very soon for another Amundi podcast. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors, as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change 
and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.